Greetings from Latter-day Media, presenting our dear friend and epic historian on Joseph Smith and church history. This podcast starts a special series called Passport to Heaven. This is part one from 1839 to 1841. Brother K. Godfrey. So our podcast today will begin with a presentation of Joseph Smith's experiences now in Nauvoo. And we're going to entitle this presentation, as well as the next couple of two or three that may follow, The Passport to Heaven, Part 1. And we'll be dealing dealing today with the years of 1839 uh, through 1841. As the saints meandered into Nauvoo, they looked much like they were returning from war. They were destitute and beaten down. Uh, Joseph knew that an influx of new blood was desperately going to be needed uh, for the church to survive. On July the 2nd, 1839, Joseph called a meeting of the Twelve Apostles to give them instructions prior to their departure for their missions abroad. They remembered the revelation Joseph had received in July of 1838, commanding the Twelve to depart for missions over the Great Waters. On Sunday, July the 7th, 1839, a farewell meeting was held. Unfortunately, the following week, a malaria epidemic hit Nauvoo, and the apostles were stricken and unable to leave on their missions. The adversary could not have timed these disheartening circumstances better. For many, this appeared to be the final battle. Weakened and exhausted, they were easy prey for the diseases of the swamp. Now, Wilford Woodruff recorded the events of July the 22nd, 1839, and in my personal opinion, what I'm going to share with you now depicts perhaps the greatest exercise of priesthood healing power in the history of the church. Quoting from Wilford Woodruff, After being confined to his house several days and while meditating upon the situation, Joseph had a great desire to attend to the duties of his office. On the morning of July 22, 1839, he arose from his bed and began administering to the sick in his own house and dooryard, and he commanded them in the name of Jesus Christ to arise and be made whole, and the sick were healed on every side of him. Many lay sick along the river bank. Joseph walked along the river and healed all that lay in his path. Among those was Henry Sherwood, who was nigh unto death. Joseph stood in the door of his tent and commanded him in the name of Jesus Christ to arise and come out of his tent. He obeyed him and was healed. Brother Benjamin Brown and his family also lay sick, the former appearing to be in a dying condition. Joseph healed all of them. Joseph, with a few brethren, crossed the Mississippi to visit the sick in Montrose. Many saints were living in the old military barracks. Among the number were several members of the Twelve Apostles. On his arrival, the first house he went to was Brigham Young, the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. Joseph healed him, and then he arose and accompanied the prophet on his visit to others who were sick and dying. They visited Orson Pratt and John Taylor, and he healed them. As they crossed the public square and entered Brother Fordham's house, they found him in a dying condition and expected that any minute would be his last. Brother Joseph took Brother Fordham's hand. He saw that Brother Fordham's eyes were glazed and he lay speechless and near unconscious. He looked down into the dying man's face and said, Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? He heard a faint, I do. The prophet of God then spoke with a loud voice as the majesty of Jehovah. Elijah, I command you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth to arise and be made whole. 
Well, it seemed to me that the house shook on its foundation. Elijah Fordham leaped from his bed like a man raised from the dead. Many others were healed that day. Great priesthood power was exercised. On Saturday, August the 4th, 1839, the Twelve renewed their commitment to fulfill missions. The first to depart was Wilford Woodruff and John Taylor. They left on August the 8th. Others soon followed. On September the 18th, Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball both left. Brigham, who was still ill, left his wife with a child only three weeks old. Heber went to the bed of his wife, who was shaking with chills, embraced her, and said goodbye to her and her two children that were laying sick by her side. Heber said, and I quote, It was with difficulty we got into the wagon and started down the hill. It appeared to me as though my very innermost parts would melt within me at leaving my family in such a condition as they were almost in the arms of death. I felt as though I could not endure it. Seven of the twelve apostles arrived in New York during the winter of 1839. Wilford Woodruff, John Taylor, and Theodore Turley were the first to sail for England on December the 19th. The remainder of the brethren set sail in March and arrived on the 10th anniversary of the church, April 6, 1840. Many significant events took place in England while the apostles were serving their missions. Willard Richards was ordained a member of the Twelve while serving in Preston, England. The church published the first edition of the Latter-day Saint Millennial Star in Manchester, England. Party P. Pratt was the editor. The apostles met with great success, building on the missionary efforts of those who had come to England in 1837. Elder Woodruff alone accounted for over 1,800 members converted through his efforts, including 20 preachers. The first shipload of 41 immigrant converts left Liverpool on the Britannia on June the 6th, 1840. The new converts were blessed with the spirit of gathering. The apostles opened other overseas missions with English converts. Brother William Barrett went to South Australia. Brother William Donaldson sailed to the East Indies. And Apostle John Taylor went to Ireland and the Isle of Man. After nearly two years of service, Joseph requested the apostles to return home. Most of the apostles would arrive in Nauvoo in July of 1841. Another significant mission had begun on April 6, 1840. As the apostles were setting sail for England, Orson Hyde and John E. Page were called by revelation to journey to the Holy Land and dedicate it for the return of the Jews. As the missionaries were en route, Elder Page lost his desire to serve, leaving Elder Hyde to travel to Palestine alone. Elder Hyde carried on alone over 20,000 miles. At one point, he was assisted by a stranger who, after hearing his plight, gave him a small bag of gold. On October the 24th, 1841, Elder Hyde built stone altars after the fashion of the Israelites on both the Mount of Olives and Mount Moriah. He then dedicated and consecrated the land for the gathering and return of the Jews. He would return to Nauvoo in December of 1842. This dedicatory prophecy was literally fulfilled on May 14, 1948, when the State of Israel was established.
As the twelve apostles were busily engaged in their missionary work, the prophet Joseph Smith likewise was busy establishing a presence in Illinois. Joseph turned his attention to the pressing financial matters of the church. He appointed George W. Robinson as the first postmaster of Nauvoo. Then, on October 29, 1839, Joseph was chosen by the Nauvoo High Council to travel to Washington, D.C. to present the plight of the saints to the President of the United States and to Congress. Joseph took Sidney Rigdon, Elias Higby, and Oren Portoraco with him. While traveling, Sidney became ill, and Oren had to stay with him, but Elias and Joseph continued on. While traveling to Washington, Joseph rescued a runaway stagecoach that they were riding in, saving the lives of some members of Congress. On Thursday, November 28, they arrived in Washington, D.C. They met with President Martin Van Buren. After they presented the case of the saints to Martin Van Buren, he said, What can I do? I can do nothing for you. If I do anything, I shall come in contact with the whole state of Missouri. Well, with the president unwilling to help, Joseph took his appeal to Congress. He presented claim files from 491 individuals, totaling over $1,381. But again, it fell on deaf ears. Joseph returned to Nauvoo on March the 4th, 1840, having set the record straight, but really having accomplished very little. He was also greeted with the news that his good friend and clerk, James Maholland, had died in his absence. And then on Wednesday, just a couple of weeks later, May 27, 1840, the church lost another giant, Bishop Edward Partridge. It seems that the effects of the Missouri persecution were too much for Bishop Partridge to endure. The prophet took every opportunity to preach, quote, many a mighty sermon to the saints of Nauvoo. One of those sermons was given in early September 1840 when Joseph preached at the funeral services of Colonel Seymour Bernstein. Joseph laid before the people the doctrine of baptism for the dead as found in 1 Corinthians 15:29. The saints became enamored with the concept of redeeming their dead. There followed thousands of hastily performed proxy baptisms in the Mississippi with no official record being kept. Men and women were being baptized for deceased persons of the opposite sex. These haphazard baptisms would eventually come to an end when on September the 6th, 1842, the prophets received a revelation, Doctrine and Covenants section 128, and in verse 24, it asked for a recording of names to take place and to wait for a portion of the temple to be completed for these sacred ordinances to be performed in. On September 14, 1840, Joseph Smith Sr. died, another casualty of the Missouri persecution. Prior to his death, he called his family together to give them his last blessing. To the prophet Joseph, he said, Joseph, hold out faithful, and you will be blessed. You shall live to finish your work. This is my dying blessing on your head. Exhausted, he then lay quiet for a time. Then suddenly he said, quote, I can see and hear as well as I ever could. I can see Alvin. Well, a few minutes later, he died. He was 69 years old. Of his father, Joseph said, and I quote, If ever there was a man who had claimed to the affections of the community, it was our beloved but now deceased patriarch.
If ever there was an event calculated to raise the feelings of sorrow in the human heart, it certainly is the present. For truly we can say with the king of Israel, a prince and a great man has fallen in Israel, a man faithful to his God and to the church in every situation and under all circumstances through which he was called to pass. This particular slide that I'm looking at here portrays a variety of incidents in the life of Joseph Smith Sr. Um, that typify his love for his son, Joseph, and uh, his loyalty to him. From early typhoid fever that young Joseph had, to Kirtland's claim that Joseph was a fallen prophet, took place in the Kirtland Temple, to his last and final blessing, Joseph Sr. was always by his son's side. Again, Joseph Sr. died September the 14th, 1840, at the age of 69. In mid-September of 1840, Joseph apparently had kindled the wrath of Governor Boggs because he'd gone to Washington, D.C., and he'd made some accusations relative to the state. Boggs then approached Governor Carlin of Illinois and asked him to arrest Joseph as a fugitive from Missouri. Joseph was arrested and tried before Stephen Douglas and set free. Now this incident is going to set the stage for many such incidents involving this two-state collaboration effort to have Joseph arrested. And during one evening with Stephen A. Douglas, uh, when he was dining with Joseph, at Douglas's request, Joseph recounted the history of the of the saints in particular their history in Missouri their plights and problems Douglas expressed sincere sympathy for what had gone on and then Joseph pronounced the following prophecy on the head of Stephen A. Douglas and I quote judge you will aspire to the presidency of the United States and if ever you turn your hand against me or the Latter-day Saints you will feel the weight of the hand of the Almighty upon you and you will live to see and know that I have testified the truth to you, for the conversation of this day will stick to you through life. Despite its challenges, Nauvoo would be chartered. It was chartered on December the 16th, 1840. The charter provided for a mayor, four aldermen, and nine elected councillors. This would comprise the city council. It also provided for a municipal court and the creation of a city militia, known as the Nauvoo Legion. The Charter granted power to organize its own educational system, complete with a university. Now, no other municipality in America had enjoyed such complete control of its own affairs as Nauvoo. Such notables as Abraham Lincoln and Stephen A. Douglas voted for passage of the Nauvoo Charter. The infamous John C. Bennett, who joined the church in Nauvoo, worked long and hard to secure passage of the Charter. For his efforts, he was going to be elected the first mayor of Nauvoo on February 1st, 1841. Now, I want to share with you just a little bit about this deceitful man, uh, John C. Bennett, and his involvement in the church. So, it came because of several encounters with the church by John C. Bennett. Bennett wrote several letters to Joseph Smith in which he declared a desire to join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Bennett was essential in the passing of the Nauvoo City Charter in, Charter in the Illinois Legislature, the provisions of which he actually helped craft. 
He even garnered praise for his lobbying efforts for the church from the young Abraham Lincoln. His efforts on behalf of the church and the amount of time he spent living in the mansion house in Nauvoo secured for Bennett the confidence of Joseph Smith. He was given greater civic and ecclesiastical responsibilities in Nauvoo. Bennett became a counselor in the First Presidency, the mayor of Nauvoo, general of the Nauvoo Legion, and chancellor of the Nauvoo University. But despite all of this, Bennett is going to quickly fall from grace. He's going to be excommunicated for sexual misconduct by May 11, 1842. And we're going to learn a lot more about Bennett's antics in the future as we refer to him. In January of 1841, with the success of the Apostles' missionary efforts in England, the first British edition of the Book of Mormon was published, published in Manchester, England. At this time, the prophet was also starting a new written work. He called it, quote, the Book of the Law of the Lord. It was a large leather-bound book of over 500 pages containing letters, revelations, and minutes of meetings as well as the results of church donations to the construction of a temple. One revelation found in the book, Doctrine and Covenants section 124, was given on January the 19th, 1841. It outlined the development of Nauvoo and the order of the priesthood. The church leadership was to publish a proclamation to the kings of the world much like what has happened today. They were to build a temple and also to construct a boarding house for visitors and converts that may be coming to Nauvoo. Now Joseph took this opportunity to establish the order of the church. Hiram was ordained patriarch of the church to replace Joseph Smith Sr., who had died, and William Law was called to serve as Joseph's second counselor, Sidney Rigdon already serving as first counselor. Now, let me take a second and introduce to you William Law, the nefarious William Law. Got some really interesting characters that are surfacing right now that ultimately are going to be responsible for the death of Joseph. So, a little bit about William. William Law was born in Tyrone, Ireland. He was a merchant and a physician. After many moves, he immigrated to Upper Canada. In 1836, he was baptized by John Taylor. In 1839, he led a group of converts from Canada to Nauvoo. He was called by Joseph in April of 1841 to serve as a counselor in the First Presidency. He would serve as the second counselor until 1844. He held a number of other prominent positions in Nauvoo. By early 1844, Law started to doubt Joseph's prophetic calling. The issue of polygamy, the lack of separating church and state issues as far as he was concerned, and uh, jealousy fueled his apostasy. He was removed from office on January the 8th, 1844 and excommunicated on April 18th, 1844 for apostasy. He immediately started an underground church called the True Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He would become the editor of the Nauvoo Expositor, which ultimately led to the death of Joseph. And he later stated, and I quote, Smith's goal was to demoralize the world, to give it to Satan, his master. Well, we'll talk more about William Law and his brother Wilson later. 
Part of the changes made by Joseph included the sustaining of the twelve apostles. They were Brigham Young, who was president, Heber C. Kimball, Parley P. Pratt, Orson Pratt, Orson Hyde, William Smith, John Taylor, John E. Page, Wilford Woodruff, Willard Richards, George A. Smith, and Lyman White, who replaced them, the martyred David W. Patton. Joseph also established the presidency of the high priests of the church, the presidency of the elders of the church, the seven presidents of the 70s, the presiding bishopric, the Nauvoo stake president, the bishopric of the upper Nauvoo ward, the bishopric of the lower Nauvoo ward, the Nauvoo high council, the president of the Iowa stake, the Iowa high council, the bishop of the Iowa ward, the president of the Lima, Illinois stake, the president of the Quincy Stake, the president of the Mount Hope Stake, the president of the Geneva Stake in Morgan County, Illinois, and the president of the Kirtland Stake. Well, the church was growing rapidly thanks to the dedication of its missionary force. This ought to sound quite a bit like maybe one of our general conference meetings where we're sustaining all these different brethren and different titles. Shortly after the structure of the church was established, elections for the city council took place. And as I've mentioned, John C. Bennett was elected mayor. William Marks, Samuel H. Smith, Daniel H. Wells, Newell K. Whitney were the aldermen that were selected. And then Joseph Smith, Hiram Smith, Sidney Rigdon, Charles C. Rich, John F. Barnett, Wilson Law, Don Carlos Smith, John P. Green, and Vincent Knight were elected counselors. Now this is an interesting slide that you can take a minute and take a look at. It shows you how the process works for the city council. When a claim or a petition, a motion or a bill were brought forth, whether it was accepted, laid on the table and pondered or rejected, and then ultimately the resolution or the ordinance met. It's kind of a fascinating slide. Well, the city council was now in place. Mayor Bennett, who was quartermaster general of the state of Illinois, assisted in the formation of the Nauvoo Legion. On February the 4th, 1841, the Legion was organized. Joseph Smith was elected as lieutenant general, with John C. Bennett as major general. Wilson Law and Don Carlos Smith were made brigadier generals. These appointments were confirmed by the governor of Illinois, Thomas Carlin. All males ages 18 through 45 were expected to fulfill a military commitment to the Legion. Within three months, 16 companies of well-drilled troops were formed, complete with a cannon. Nauvoo's official existence now began. But like other big cities came thieves, counterfeiters, and conmen, such as the nefarious mayor of Nauvoo, John C. Bennett, sometimes referred to as the moral leper. His good supposed intentions would be laced with arsenic. On April 6, 1841, the 11th anniversary of the church, the four cornerstones of the Nauvoo Temple were laid in accordance with the revelation received by Joseph in January. Earlier that day, the 16 companies of the Nauvoo Legion marched in parade. By noon, 10,000 people were assembled. Elder Rigdon addressed the people, and the First Presidency laid the southeast cornerstone. The southwest cornerstone was laid by the high priest, the northwest cornerstone by the stake high council, and the northeast cornerstone by Bishop Newell K. Whitney. 
By the time the temple would be dedicated on May 1st, 1846, it would cost $1 million. A number of, uh, of stone quarries opened a short distance away to furnish the gray sandstone blocks for the temple. By the end of the year, the foundation was visible from the surrounding countryside. Now, in an attempt to show goodwill, we're going to introduce to you another new name that hasn't happened uh, up to this point. His name is Thomas Sharp. He's editor of the Warsaw, small town outside of uh, Nauvoo. He's editor of the Warsaw Signal. He was invited to the cornerstone ceremony, and although he was treated with pomp, of a visiting dignitary, he came away less than impressed. He was convinced that the Mormons were un-American, a political movement aimed at domination of the country. In June, he actually formed an anti-Mormon political group and regularly used his press to denounce the Mormon cause. Now, we're going to discuss Thomas Sharp's role in the martyrdom of Joseph later, but suffice it to say that he's going to rank right up there with uh, William Law and other apostates. With the temple under construction, Joseph needed a place to preach from. And so groves were created. Groves are places of preaching and teaching. The West Grove was just west of the temple. And uh, from these open-air theaters, Joseph would, uh, would speak regularly to the, to the saints as well as other leaders of the church. This particular picture uh, portrays Joseph in a grove teaching to the saints. That particular picture, Joseph in the Grove, is uh, a picture by A.D. Shaw, just for reference purposes. While Nauvoo flourished, all was not well in some of the surrounding counties. On June the 4th, 1841, Joseph was arrested while staying at, staying at the Heberlands Hotel at Bear Creek. Now, Bear Creek's about 28 miles south of Nauvoo. The charge, again being a fugitive of justice from the state of Missouri. The arrest warrant was issued by Governor Carlin of Illinois at the demand of Governor Reynolds of Missouri. So we've got a new face here. Boggs is gone. Reynolds is here. And Reynolds has contacted Carlin and asked him to arrest Joseph, which he did. So um, again, Pete and repeat here. As before, Joseph obtained a writ of habeas corpus blocking his extradition. Stephen A. Douglas, who was in Quincy at the time, set a hearing in Monmouth, Illinois. Joseph secured the services of O.H. Browning, one of the most eminent local attorneys, to handle his case. Now, Mr. Browning had personally witnessed the suffering of the saints as they were uh, forced to flee Missouri. His skill and empathy for the saints helped turn the tide of hatred, and Joseph was released. Now, I want to reference this slide for just a second, if I could, because it's kind of interesting. Again, you've got Carlin, the governor of Illinois, and now you've got Reynolds, the governor of Missouri. Uh, Thomas Reynolds followed Boggs and would serve as governor from 1840 to 1844. And this is kind of interesting. On February the 9th, 1844, Reynolds committed suicide while serving in office. And then, to make this even more fascinating, in a March 10th, 1844 sermon, Joseph taught that God had promised to give to him anything that he'd asked for in righteousness. Well, he stated that he prayed to God to, 
quote, deliver me out of the hands of the governor of Missouri, and if it must needs be to accomplish it, to take him away. Well, in this particular case, uh, Governor Thomas Reynolds was taken away, having committed suicide. By July, Nauvoo had become a social hub, a social center. The city boasted over 1,200 new homes and a population near 9,000. Many visitors came to see the Mormon metropolis. One reporter from the New York Herald said, quote, Joseph Smith is undoubtedly one of the greatest characters of the age. He indicates as much talent, originality, and moral courage as Muhammad or any of the other great spirits that have hitherto produced revolutions in the past. While modern philosophy is overspreading the Atlantic states, Joseph Smith is creating a spiritual system combined with morals and industry that may change the destiny of the race. August was an exciting month. For the prophet Joseph in Nauvoo, the apostles were returning home from their missions overseas. Joseph was overjoyed to see them. Joseph was very much looking forward to seeing them because he was starting to fear apostasy was entering the ranks of some of those that were serving in the interim. Individuals such as Sidney Rigdon, John C. Bennett, William Law, Wilson Law, Chauncey Higby, Francis Higby, Charles Foster, Robert Foster, William Marks, Austin Coyles, and Charles Ivins. Now with the faithful 12 home, Joseph felt some sense of security. Just a comment about these individuals. As we proceed with our podcasts in the future, you'll see that many, if not all, of these individuals are going to play an active role in, uh, in Joseph's ultimate death. However, Joseph's joy at seeing the return of his apostolic friends from their overseas missions soon turned quickly to, to grief. On August the 7th, his faithful brother, Don Carlos Smith, died of exposure as a result of working in a cold, damp cellar while producing the Times and Seasons newspaper. Joseph's grief further turned to despair at the death of his own infant son and brother's namesake, Don Carlos Smith, on August the 15th, 1841, a month that started so promisingly and quickly for, uh, for Joseph had now turned somewhat tragic. On August the 16th, Brigham Young was asked to conduct a special conference of the church. Joseph was late in arriving because of the death of his son. The Twelve had not been accustomed to uh, conducting the affairs of the church locally. When Joseph arrived, he made the announcement, quote, the time had arrived that the twelve should be called upon to stand in their place next to the first presidency and attend to the business of the church. They were now in equal authority and responsibility to the first presidency. He then conferred on Brigham Young, as president of the quorum, the keys of the sealing power which had been bestowed upon Joseph by Elijah. Joseph would later confide to his friends, and I quote, Now if they kill me, you've got all the keys. The host of Satan will not be able to tear down the kingdom, because on your shoulders will be the responsibility of leading the people. So the Lord is going to let me rest for a while. In late August, Robert Thompson, Joseph's scribe, passed away, and Willard Richards was called to serve as Joseph's personal secretary and general church clerk. 
Willard had remained, or would remain, by Joseph's side throughout the balance of the prophet's life and would live as an eyewitness to the ultimate sacrifice paid by Joseph in Carthage jail. On October the 2nd, 1841, the cornerstone for the Nauvoo House was laid per revelation earlier given in January. The Nauvoo House was to accommodate travelers and converts who constantly came to the city. The money raised for construction was acquired from the sale of stock to worthy church members. Now within the cornerstone of this building, Joseph would put the original manuscript of the Book of Mormon. We now come to uh, conclude this particular portion of uh, Passport to Heaven with uh, a final thought. Nauvoo was a city under construction, and yet a city concerned about its spiritual welfare. By November, a temporary font, as you see in the slide here, was, uh, was built in the basement of the Nauvoo Temple uh, for the commencement of baptisms for the dead that would begin on November the 21st. So Nauvoo was not only growing in population, but also growing in its spiritual insights and what needed to be done to do things in a proper fashion. So this will conclude part one of Passport to Heaven. The next time we meet, we'll do uh, Passport to Heaven, part two. And those would be years 1841, the latter part of 1841 to the beginning of 1843. Until then, good luck with your continued studies of the Doctrine and Covenants, and we certainly hope the material we presented assists you in a better understanding of the role of Joseph Smith. This Come Follow Me video series is a bonus resource to enhance your appreciation of the Prophet Joseph Smith with little-known facts and research about American and church history. Thank you for listening today and for sharing this ComeFollowMe2021.com website. We sure appreciate those who have been contributing on our Patreon page under Latter-day Media. We'll have a link in the show notes, and we would love to invite more to help support this work. To contact Kay, email him at footstepsofjoseph at gmail.com.